Amen. All right. Well, we're there in the book of First Chronicles, chapter number 29. And if you remember last week, we began a study on Sunday mornings on the, prog- on the subject of building projects in the Bible, building projects in the Bible. And we talked about the fact that the Bible talks a lot about building projects and special offerings associated with those projects. And the Bible mentions the tabernacle, the temple, the rebuilding of the second temple after the first temple was destroyed, and different remodels of the temple. And we're looking at that because of the fact that we, of course, find ourselves in the midst of a bit of a building and remodeling project ourselves, as we've already been announcing and talking about. We've got the new property over there that we've been working on, and our church family has been working on, and I'm thankful for all the hours that people have put in since October of last year, getting things ready, getting things prepared. So we're in the midst of, of course, a building work on that side, and then we're also preparing for an upcoming vision offering. And it's interesting to me that in the Bible, when you see them working on a building, you also see them taking up a special offering. These things are connected, and they're connected for us as well. And I thought it'd be good for us to spend the next several weeks as we prepare to move, as we prepare to finish as much as possible the work that can be done for the new property, and as we prepare to receive the special offering, to look at these things in the Bible and to study study them from the Word of God. I understand that sometimes people get offended when you speak about uh, money and things like that, and if the Bible offends you, then I don't know what to tell you. It's in the Bible. And we're going to talk about it. We don't talk a lot about it here at our church, to be very honest with you. But in seasons like this, as we prepare, then there are things that we need to talk about. I do want to say this, that when we talk about giving, we're not just talking about money. Obviously, that's part of it. But we believe that we should give uh, our entire selves to God, both our time and our talent and our treasure. Uh, So all of those things are associated with stewardship and giving. And if you remember last week, we looked at the building of the tabernacle. And the Lord really kind of worked that out well because we looked at the tabernacle, the special offering and the building of the tabernacle on Sunday morning. Then on Wednesday night, in a different series, different Bible studies in the book of Hebrews, we looked at the layout of the tabernacle. And I thought that was interesting for us to study that all in the same week. But if you remember last week, we looked at the building of the tabernacle. And what we really focused on last week is how to give how to give, how to come together as a church family to give to a special offering. And if you remember from last week's sermon, we learned from the building of the tabernacle that we should give collectively. This is not a one-man show. This is not us trying to find one millionaire or something to give a big amount. But this is that something that we should all participate in. And what we want from the entire church family is not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. So everybody to participate and to stretch themselves and to extend themselves equally. Now, that means that you, different people will give different amounts and do different things, and we understand that. But the goal is to give collectively. And we learned last week as well that the goal is to give willingly. And we're not trying to guilt anybody or manipulate anybody into giving. We want you to give of a willing heart, a free will offering. And then, of course, we learned that we are to give generously. We're to give collectively, and we're to give willingly, and we're to give generously. That's how to give. We learned that from the building of the tabernacle. This week, what we're going to learn is not how to give, but it's going to be why to give. Why to give? And we're going to learn this from the building of the temple. And this is, of course, the building of the temple by King Solomon. David, if you remember the story, David had it in his heart to build a house for God, to build a temple for God. And as a result, uh, Nathan the prophet came to David and said, look, you cannot build a temple. God is not going to allow you. You've shed too much blood. There's too much blood on your hands. But he said, your son, Solomon, will build the temple. And, of course, David spent the rest of his life preparing for the building of the temple. And I'm not preaching on this necessarily this morning, but let me just say this. There's a lesson there that we ought to prepare. We talk a lot about uh, the next generation. You know, we have this next generation youth rally. The reason we want to focus on the next generation is because we need the next generation to take the baton of the faith of, of the Word of God and to continue the work of God. And we understand that there is no success without succession. But there's also a role that we play as the previous generation to prepare for the next generation. That's what David is doing. David is preparing and setting Solomon up for success in regards to the building of this temple. And what we see in this passage is a beautiful, beautiful lessons in regards as to why to give. And I've preached over the years many sermons on giving, and we looked at many passages. We'll look at many passages in the next several weeks. But I will say this, that out of all the giving passages, 
First Chronicles 29 is my personal favorite. I think it's probably the least used passage on giving uh, in, in, that pastors use. There's, there's other passages that are more popular for the subject of giving. But I, for me personally, this is my favorite when it comes to giving and the heart of giving. This is my favorite passage, and I'm excited for us to be able to look at it. Uh, this morning. So I'd like to give you three reasons this morning as to why to give. We're not talking about how to give. We talked about that last week. We ought to give collectively. We ought to give willingly. We ought to give generously. Obviously, some of these things are going to overlap, but I'd like to begin to teach you this morning why. Why? Why should you participate in this year's vision offering? Why should you participate in the work days? Why should you participate when we begin to move in the move days? Why should you give of yourself to the Lord, your time and your talent in your treasure? Why do these things? Notice there in First Chronicles 29 and verse 1, notice what David says here in verse 1. The Bible says, furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. He says, Solomon is young and though God has chosen him to build this temple, he's not yet ready. He said, we need to prepare and get some things ready. He is young and tender. And then I want you to notice in comparison, and the Bible does this often. I point it to you, point it out to you very often. God often does these compare and contrast. He says, David says, my son Solomon is yet young, uh, young and tender. And then he contrasts that to what Solomon needs to do. He says, and the work is great. He says the work is great. And then he tells us why it is that he believes the work is great. He says for. The word for means because. And he says for the palace. And the word palace here is referring to the building, the structure, the house, the temple that they're going to build. He says, look, the work is great. And here's why it's great. Because the palace, the building, the temple we're going to build, he says, is not for man, but for the Lord. And what for the Lord God. And what he's telling us here is that this work is an awesome work. It's, it's in a, a, a great work. It's an amazing work. When he says there, the work is great, he's speaking not only in quantity, but also in quality. Yes, he says there's a lot to do, but he said also we want to do it well. He says the work is great. Why is it great, David? Because the palace is not for man, but for the Lord. And what we learn here, uh, the first lesson that I'd like you to notice, and if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. And it is this, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down notes. Why give? Why give? Number one, we ought to give because of the awe of the work of God. Because of the awe of the work of God. Because of the awesomeness of the work of God. Because of the greatness of the work of God. Because the work of God is great. And let me just be clear about this. There is no greater work than the work of God. There's nothing more important being done this morning than the opening up of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. And what we learn here is that the awesomeness of the work, the awe of the work, ought to motivate us to be involved. He says, the work is great. Why is it great? For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord. And then he says as a result here in verse 2, notice that he says, Now I have prepared with all my might. He said, I have prepared. The word might there means with strength, with power. He said, with all my strength, with all my power, with all my ability, I have prepared. Why? Because the palace is not for man, David says, but for the Lord God. He said, now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things which uh, to be made of gold and the silver for things which of silver and the brass for things uh, of brass, the iron for things of iron and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones. Notice these words, in abundance. He said, I have prepared with my mind. Why? Because the work is great. Not just quantity. There's a lot of work to do, yes. But in quality, he says, because the palace is not for man, but it's for the Lord. And therefore, I have prepared with all my might, he says, in abundance. You're there in 1 Chronicles 29. Flip back just a couple of pages over to verse number, to chapter number 22. 1 Chronicles 22. In 1 Chronicles 22, there's a verse where David brings this same idea out and he does it, I think, in a, in a very interesting way. 
I love the wording he uses here. It's very unique wording, not wording that we normally use in our vernacular today. But I think it's lovely how he says it. First Chronicles 22 and verse 5. Notice what he says. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. Very similar to what he said in verse 29. And the house, the temple, the palace, the building, he says, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord. Notice what he says. He says, must be exceeding. And I just love this word. He says, it must be exceeding magnificent. <laughs> I love that word. We don't use that word very much today. Magnificent. We would say magnificent. The word means grandiose. It means to make great. You know, a lot, there's a lot of talk about making America great again. How about making the house of God great again? How about making the work of God great again? He says, the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. He said it must be exceeding great. He said it must be exceeding grandiose. Notice what he says, of fame and of glory throughout all the countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. And let me just say this, and I've already said it, but I want to say it again. There's nothing greater than the work of God. And, you know, obviously I'm a pastor and, and maybe I'm a little biased here and, and, and I don't think I'm being biased. I think the Bible definitely highlights this, but I don't think and, and, and I realize that God has different roles for different people and we're all to do different things. And we understand that. But I will say this. I don't think let me say this to young people out there who are maybe considering about what the Lord would have them to do in their lives. There is no greater work than the work of God. This is the, the, the greatest position you could ever hold is to be a servant of the Lord. And I'm not just talking about uh, as a job, although, uh, of course, we could use more people in full-time ministry work. But in your life, you ought to just consider yourself a servant of God. You say, what's greater than being the president of the United States? Serving God. What's greater than being the governor of the state of California? Serving God. What's better than being the CEO of some Fortune 500 company? Serving God. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater to do than to serve God with your life. Amen. Now, if you are uh, the CEO of a company or you work in, in some secular role and you do those things, then God bless you and praise God for that. But remember that all of those things, all those things we have, all the resources we hold in our hands are given to us as tools to serve God. I just believe that every Christian ought to do one of two things. They should either pastor a church or they should help somebody pastor a church. Because there is no greater work than the work of God. There's nothing greater to do. The work of the Lord is to be magnificent. It's to be magnificent. It's to be grandiose. And the idea here that David is telling us, he's saying, look, if it's for God, it ought to be our best. He said, look, we're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing it for God. Go back, go back to 1 Chronicles 29. Look at the last part of verse 1. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord, God. Here's what I'm saying to you. If it's for God, it should be our best. There's a connection between the last phrase in verse 1 and the first phrase in verse 2. The last phrase in verse 1 says, For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord. If you don't mind marking in your Bible or writing your Bible, or if you're a note taker in your Bible, I would write next to the last part of verse number 1 this phrase, If it's for God. Then notice in verse 2, he says, Now I have prepared with all my might. You can write this statement next to the first part of verse 2. It ought to be our best. If it's for God, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God, it ought to be our best. Now I have prepared with all my might. If it's for God, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord, then it ought to be our best. Now I have prepared with all my might. Here's what Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 says. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. It says this, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person, and, 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 and I know many of you are similar. I'm the type of person that if I'm going to do something, I want to do it well. I want to do the best I can. I'm not saying that everything I do is the best, but I am telling you that everything I do, I try to give it my best. I try to do the best. And I think we ought to do that in every area of life. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. But how much more when it's for God? How much more when it's for the work of God, for the house of God, for the, 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 the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? It ought to be magnificent. 
It must be exceeding magnificent. It must be great. It should be great. The work is great, not just in quantity, but in quality. And here's what I'm saying to you. You and I ought to just make a decision in our minds. If it's for God, it ought to be our best. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm, look, I'm not just talking about the offering, this vision offering, although I think if it's for God, it ought to be our best. I'm saying in every area of life. Here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm telling you. Look, I'm just saying this. If I were an usher, if I were an usher at Verity Baptist Church, you know what I'd do? I'd show up on time to the usher meetings. I'd show up dressed appropriately in the way that I've been instructed to dress and to appear. I would be where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be. I take that little phase sheet we gave you guys telling you, here's where you're supposed to be at this phase of the service, and here's where you're supposed to be at this phase of the service. I take that thing and I'd memorize it. I'd make sure I was where I was supposed to be, when I was supposed to be there, and I would make sure that I was a good example. I wouldn't be messing around on my phone. I wouldn't be out in the parking lot talking during the preaching. I'd be in the house of God. I'd be serving God. Here's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, if I were an usher, I'd give it my best. Look, I'm not an usher. I'm just telling you, the way I am, or the way I think, I just think, if it's for God, we ought to give him our best. If I was a safety team member, I'm not a safety team member. They won't let me have a CCW. Because <laughs> when you're a hate preacher, they don't want you having a CCW. <laughs> if I was a safety team member, I'd take it seriously. I wouldn't be distracted while I'm supposed to be on duty. I wouldn't be on my phone while I'm supposed to be on duty. I wouldn't be watching my children while I'm supposed to be guarding the church house. I'm just saying I'd give it my best. If I was an orchestra member, I'd show up for the practices. If I was an orchestra member, I'd practice at home. If I was an orchestra member, I'd be a team player, and I'd be there to try to do what I can and give it my best. And again, not saying that everything we do is our best, but I'd give it my best. If I was a song leader, I'd be prepared and ready to lead the music. I'd practice beforehand and think of the things that I was going to say. If I was a team captain at Verity Baptist Church, I would promote what the pastor promotes. I would participate in what the pastor is uh, trying to get people to participate in. I would try to help the pastor and the pastor's wife shepherd the, the team that, 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 that God has uh, given us through this ministry. If I was a, 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 a staff member at Verity Baptist Church, I would do what the pastor wants, and I'd do it how the pastor would do it. I'd figure out how the pastor thinks. I would watch how the pastor speaks to people, and I would speak to people the way the pastor speaks to people. I would treat people the way the pastor treats people. I would try to think the way the pastor thinks and communicate the way the pastor communicates. If I was a church member, I'd be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'd be a three to thriver. If I was a church member, I'm just telling you, you say, well, you're not a church member, you're a pastor. Okay, I don't know what that means, but whatever. You don't consider me a church member, that's fine. I'm just telling you this. I was a church member for many years before I was a pastor, and this is what I was before, and this is what I would be now. If I was a church member, I'd be a three to thrive Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'd be a soul winner. I'd be a tither. I'd I'd find a place to volunteer. If I wasn't serving, I'd find somewhere to serve, and I would serve. I'd just give God my best. If I was a soul winner, I'd go through the soul winning stuff. If I was a soul winner, which by the way, I was, I am a soul winner, and I was a soul winner for years and years and years and years and years, and I went soul winning in churches that provided almost nothing in training. But let me tell you something. If I were a soul winner of a church that provided a soul winning seminar, I'd go through it. I won't ask for a raise of hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm shocked how many of our church members don't go through the training we provide. I'm just telling you, if I was a soul winner, I'd go through the soul winning seminar. If I was a soul you know what I'd do if I was a soul winner? I'd memorize the verses. You know what I'd do if I was a soul winner? I would figure out the script and figure out what I'm going to say at the door. And, I, and if I was a new soul winner, I'd find another new soul winner. And I would practice with them. And I'd practice back and forth. I'd look in the mirror and I'd practice back and forth. And, and by the way, these aren't things that I, that I would do. These are things I did. I'm just saying, look, if I'm going to be a soul winner, I want to be the best soul winner I can be. If I was a teenager, I'd find somewhere to serve. I wouldn't waste my time. I'd be preparing for the future. 
I'd be trying to become the person that God wants me to be, and I'd find somewhere in church to get involved, and I'd sign up for the teen activity, and I'd sign up for the youth rally, and I'd get involved in the things of God, and I would serve God with my life. Hey, if I were a mother with a young child, I would not allow my child to, to cry during the service and disturb the preaching of the Word of God. I would not try to quiet down my children while the pastor is preaching and handling the Word of God. Do you know what the greatest thing we are doing right now is handling the Word of God? I would be prepared and ready to take my children out quickly and swiftly as to not disturb the preaching of the Word of God. And by the way, let me say this. If I was a mother with a young child, when I stepped into that mother baby room, I wouldn't sit there and be talking the whole time. I would be training my child, if they're of the age to be trained, to sit quietly. If they're not of the age to be trained, I would try to uh, take care of my child while trying to listen to as much of the preaching as possible. I'd have my Bible open if I could have my Bible open. If you have to have your baby on your lap, we understand that. But I would be listening and engaged and, and prepared. Look, I'm just, if I was a skilled laborer, I'd show up to the work days. Like, I'm just saying, if, if whatever you're going to do, if it's for the Lord, give Him your best. Aren't you glad that God gave us his best? He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a prophet. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us his best, and we ought to give him our best. Hey, if I were a pastor, I'd pray for the people. I'd, 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 I'd study hard and, and spend time in the word of God and prepare sermons to try to feed the people. Look, I'm just telling you, whatever, whatever area we find ourselves in, we ought to give God our best. Don't get this idea that, well, I'm here. Isn't that enough? No, no, no. It's magnificent. It's great. It must be exceeding great. The work is great, not just in quantity, but in quality. Why give? Why give of our time? Why give of our treasure? Why give of our talent? Because of the awe of the work of God. I'm just saying this. Maybe you don't agree with me, but I just think that if it's for God, it ought to be our best. Go back to 1 Chronicles 23 if you're not there. Look at verse 3. We're talking about why. Why give to God? I said number one, because of the awe of the work of God. If it's for God, it ought to be our best. And I'd like you to notice secondly this morning, not only should we give because of the awe of the work of God, but we should give because of the affection towards the house of God. Notice what David says here in verse 3. He says, moreover... Because I, this is King David speaking. He says, because I have set my affection. You know, the word affection means love, means the, the, the feeling of love. Because I've set my affection to the house of my God. Because I've set my affection to the house of my God. David said, I'm here because I love God. And I love the house of God. And look, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. And I understand we're all in different levels. And we're all in different maturity levels. And I get that. And I understand that. I'm not trying to pick on you. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. I would much, look, I'm just, I'm just telling, saying for me, for me, and I, I know my wife feels the same way. I know many mature Christians feel the same way. And I, I'm just saying if you don't feel this way, that's okay. But, but this is where you ought to be working towards. I, I would much, I would much rather I'm being honest with you. I would much rather be sitting on a Sunday night with the people of God under the preaching of the Word of God than watching a football game. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, it's not even a question. It's like, hey, uh, we, we have $15,000. We'll fly to the Super Bowl. Or you could go to a church service. It's not even a question. Why would I sit there watching grown men play a child's sport? I'd be bored. I'm just telling you, there are some of us who actually love the house of God. David said, because I have set my affection to the house of God. And look, if you don't have a love for the house of God, there's something wrong with your love. You're putting your heart and your affection in the wrong place. The Bible says that we ought to set our affections on the things above. We have to set our affections on the things of God. And here David says, he says, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, he says, I have of mine own proper good. Notice personal sacrifice. 
of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I prepared for thy holy house. So why should we give? We ought to give not just for the all of the work of God, but because of the affection towards the house of God. Go to 2 Corinthians, if you would, in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Do me a favor, when you get there, put a ribbon or a bookmark because we're going to leave it. We're going to come back to it. I'd like to get, for you to get to it quickly. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm just the type of person, if, 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 if there's something going on at the house of God, I want to be there. And it's not just because I'm the pastor. I'm saying if I was a church, if I went to a church, my wife and I, if my wife and I went to a church that offered a married couple of sweetheart banquet and we didn't have to plan it and we didn't have to spend time thinking of questions, you say, well, you got staff, can't you delegate it? Well, they all got to play. <laughs> if I didn't have to write a sermon for it, you know what I mean? We'd enjoy it. We'd show up. We just love the house of God. And by the way, we love the people of God. Even though the people of God can be annoying. <laughs> the affection towards the house of God ought to motivate us. No better people than the people of God. I don't, look, I don't need, look, I'm not against you, and if you're in these things, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know it, but I, I just, I'm just, I don't need a bowling league. I don't need, I don't need any, I'm I'm busy, I'm busy enough just with the people of God. The all work of God, and and I'm not against bowling leagues. Look, if you're in a bowling league, I'm not against you. I'm not preaching against bowling. I'm I'm just saying, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you chose, you say, hang out with a bunch of worldly people, go to some political rally, or be with the people of God. It's the people of God. Every day it's the people of God, and twice on Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> it's the all the work of God and the affection of the work of God and, and we have to have a love for the word of God and by the way, the way we prove our love is through giving that's why Jesus said, we talked about it last week where your treasure is, there will your heart be also 2 Corinthians 8 look at verse 8 Notice what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth here, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8, 2 Corinthians 8 8 He says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. Notice what he says, and to prove the sincerity of your love. You know that God does not just assume you love him? He says, prove it. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you love me. Why do you have to say if, God? Why do you have to say if, Jesus? Because your actions speak louder than your words. If you love me, keep my commandments. Paul said, to prove the sincerity of your love, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. If I, I, I don't have a lot of money, and if I give to this vision offering, I'm going to go from being rich to being poor. Well, Jesus went from being rich to being poor for you. Look, and we're not, we don't want you to give anything that's going to put you in any sort of financial danger. I'm, I'm just saying this, the love for Jesus. Here's what Paul said. He said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Look at verse 24, same chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 24. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches, notice the words, the proof of your love, the proof of your love and of our boasting, on your behalf. Keep your place right there in 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to 1 Chronicles 29 if you would. I'd like you to notice a couple of things about this affection. We ought to give. Why? For the all of the work of God. If it's for God, it ought to be our best. If it's for God, it ought to be our best. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, that we ought to give because of the affection towards the house of God. And I want you to notice the love towards the house of God will give, will, will show itself in different ways. The first is this. The sacrifice of love. The sacrifice of love. Look at verse 29, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 3. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, notice what he says, I have of mine own proper good. 
personal sacrifice. David is saying, I'm not taking money out of the government treasury. He says, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God. And then he says these words, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. See, the truth is this, that when we love, we give. There is the sincerity. We must prove the sincerity of our love. We need to give the proof of your love. And here's the truth. And look, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love always produces in giving. Love always produces in giving. And here we see the sacrifice of love that David says, not only did I give him my own proper good, he says, but I have given, he uses these words, over and above. He said, I have done more than was, was expected. He said, I, I've done more than what, what, what I, I gave to the point to what others might expect that I would give. And then he says, I gave above that. I sacrificed. The idea is he's saying, I stretched myself. He said, I, I sacrificed. He said, I gave to where it even hurt a little bit. Notice how Paul says it to the Corinthians. If you can make your way back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse number 3. This is how Paul describes the giving of the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 3, he says, excuse me, not the Corinthian church. He's talking to the Corinthian church about another church because the Corinthian church were a bunch of cheapskates. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3, he says, notice the words, for to their power, the word power, might, all used interchangeably, ability is what it means. For to their power, to their ability, I bear record, yea, notice the words, and beyond their power, beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves. That's what David said. He said, over and above. And look, let me just explain what I believe Paul is saying here when he says, to their power and beyond their power. I don't think that beyond their power means that they were giving of that which they did not have. Look, we, we, don't, we don't believe in that. Don't, 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 you, you need to pay your mortgage and pay your rent and, and feed your family and, and we understand all that and you need to be responsible with your finances. We don't think people should go into debt to give to the house of God. We don't expect you uh, to do those things. The Bible says, in fact, you're there in 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse number 12. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12, he says, for if there be first a willing mind, notice these words, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. You see that? God does not expect you to give what you do not have. It is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. So let's get the right perspective here. Giving to your power and beyond your power. Giving above uh, your power is not the idea that we give what we do not have. I do not believe that God is teaching that we should give what we do not have. Uh, but I do believe that when he says to give to your power or to their power, or when David said above and beyond, the idea is that they gave what was more than comfortable. Beyond their power means that, they, that, that there was a, a certain number. And look, you, you know what that number is for you. There's a certain amount. The pastor gets up and says, I think you ought to give. And immediately you're like, oh yeah, we can do. But then David said, no, I thought about it. And I prayed about it. And I've thought about the goodness of God and the house of God and the magnificence of the house of God and the, and the work of God and the work that God has done through me in the house of God. And I didn't just want to give what I could give. I wanted to give above what was even expected. I wanted to stretch myself and sacrifice. I wanted to be a little poorer as a result because the Jesus Christ who was rich and became poor for me, I can be a little poorer for him. We see the sacrifice of love. But then I'd like you to notice, secondly, go back to 1 Chronicles 29, we see the sentiment of love. The sentiment of love. And we've already talked about this last week, but it comes up again, and, and it, we're going to see it come up over and over and again. I just think when it comes up, we ought to look at it, and notice what he says there in verse 4. He says, even 3,000 talents of gold, he's talking about money, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses with all the gold for things of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then is, notice the words, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Notice verse 6. 
Then the chief of the fathers and princes and tribes of the Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work. Notice the words, offered willingly. Look at verse 7, and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and of 100,000 talents of iron. And they, verse 8, uh, and they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Look at verse 9, then the people rejoiced for, they, for that they, notice the words, I just want you to see it, offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Look at verse 17, same chapter, 1 Chronicles 29, verse number 17. Notice what he says, I know also, my God, that thou triest the hearts and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly, notice the words, willingly offered of these things, and now I have given with joy thy people which are present here. Notice the words, to offer willingly unto thee. You say, I don't know, how, how do people give? The truth is this, that love always sacrifices. We see the sacrifice of love, but we also see the sentiment of love. And the sentiment of love is this, when we give motivated by love, it's no sacrifice at all. Love always gives. And love always gives willingly. Look, I'm just saying to you, it's not just a financial principle. It's just a reality principle. Love always gives. Love always gives. Here's the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God, love always sacrifices and it does it willingly. Willingly. So why should we give? We should give because of the awe of the work of God. Because it's magnificent, because it's great, because the work being done here is the greatest work in the world. Why? Because souls are saved, lives are transformed, and, and, and people's lives can be changed for the glory of God. That's greater than any sort of political agenda. That's greater than making money. The all of the work of God. But we also have to give because of the affection of the house of God. Because we love the work of God. Because sacrifice always because love always sacrifices. And love always has the right sentiment. It's always willing. It's never a sacrifice. Do you understand that? If, 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 I, if, if, if I lived in a communist country where they forced me, they forced me, I have a healthy whatever organ, and they forced me, and to, they'd take it from me and give it to somebody else, I would be resentful. I'd be bitter. But God forbid that one of my children needed it. I'd offer it willingly. Say, what's the difference? Love. Love always gives, and love always gives willingly. So we see the awe of the work of God. And we see the affection towards the house of God. And I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, we're talking about why to give. We see the acknowledging of the providence of God. Notice verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. We're about to get into the section of this passage that's my favorite. I love it. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. He says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Notice, notice what he says here, verse 11. Thine, O Lord. Thine, O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Look at verse 12. Both riches and honor, don't miss it, both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. So what is David saying here? What is David trying to communicate when he says, Thine, O Lord, 
is the greatness and power and glory and victory. When he says, for all that is in heaven and earth is thine. When he says, both riches and honor come of thee. When he says, in thine hand is to make great and to give strength. What is he saying? And what David is saying simply is this. He's saying, all we have comes from God. All we have comes from God. That's why you ought not boast about the things you have, because what do you have that was not given to you? What do you have that God did not bless you with? Let me read a few verses for you. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read these for you. You're familiar with them, I'm sure. Deuteronomy 8.18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. James 1.17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. David is saying to us here that all we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Thine, O Lord, is greatness and power and glory and victory. For all that is in heaven and earth is thine. Both riches and honor come from thee. In thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. He, David says, look, we acknowledge the providence of God. We acknowledge the providential hand of God. We acknowledge the providing of God in our lives. We acknowledge the fact that all we have comes from God. And then, and then he says this, and here's what he says. All we have comes from God. And he says, all we give was given to us from God. Look at it, verse 13. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? You understand that we're a blessed people. We're so blessed by God. The fact that you have the ability to give, the fact that you're even, because here's the honest truth, if you had zero money in your account, you'd be, this is a guilt-free pastor, great sermon, praise the Lord, but I don't have anything. <laughs> the fact that you're feeling this internal struggle and, oh, God, I, I, I want, God wants me to give, but I want to spend it on this, and God wants me to do this, but I'd rather do Hey, the fact that you even have that struggle is proof that you have something. That was given to you by God. He says, He says, Who are we? Who am I? What is my people? That we even have the ability that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. Look at the last part of verse 14. He says, For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. The truth is this, whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give for the vision offering this year, let us always remember, whatever we give, we've given to God back from what he's given to us. Of thine own have we given to thee. Go back to 1 Corinthians, if you would. If you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, if you flip back to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 16, 1, the Bible says this, Now concerning the collection of the saints, this is referring to a special offering. As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye unto the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store. Notice the words. As God hath prospered him. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Has God prospered us? Have we been blessed of the Lord? Then let every man lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. That there be no gatherings when I come. As God has prospered him. See, we ought to give because of the awe of the work of God. And we ought to give because of the affection towards the house of God. And we ought to give as an acknowledgement of the providence of God that all I have comes from God. And when I give, I simply give back from what he's given to me. Go back to 1 Chronicles 29. Notice what he says here in verse 15. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners 
as were all our fathers, our days on earth. Don't, don't, look, I just, I just love this passage. There's just so much here and so much to say and so much to develop. And, and I don't want to spend too much time, but just look at it. Our days on the earth are as a shadow. So what does that mean, David? They're as a shadow. Here's what it means, and there is none abiding. It means it's not very long. It's not going to last very long. It's like a shadow. It's there and it's gone. James said it this way, that our life is but a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanished away. David is trying to help us understand the perspective of life. Look, you say, I have money and I don't want to part my money. Do you understand that money is only worth something on this earth while we have it as a tool to use for eternity? And your life is but a vapor. It's a shadow. It's a shadow and there is none abiding. This is why the song we, we sang this morning, the, the chorus of the week, I, I love the, 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 the words at the end of the third stanza, or the third stanza, and the hope of heaven's glories thrill me so. You know what heaven is? It's eternal. You know what earth is? It's temporal. It's temporary. It's passing. It's a shadow. That vanisheth away. And the hope of heaven's glories thrill me so. Where I'll live with Christ forevermore, I know. This is why the things of earth I loosely hold. Some people live this world like this is all you ever have. And for some people, this is all they will ever have. But for us that are believers, that have a hope in heaven, I can hold the things of this earth loosely. This is why the things of earth I loosely hold. Why? Because I've... Eternal riches, better far than gold. Oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it is wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it is wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, it is wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled. Notice what he says here in verse 15, verse 16, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 29, 16. O Lord our God. All the sore that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. Look, we don't, you say, well, well I tithe, I give 10% of, of, of my income or my increase to God. Let me tell you something. Tithing is not you giving 10% to God. Tithing is God allowing you to keep 90%. Because all we have comes from God, belongs to God, it cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own. So why should we give? As an acknowledging of the providence of God. Because all I have comes from God, and all I give was given to me by God. Look at verse 19, we'll finish up. Excuse me, verse 18. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel our fathers, keep, keep this forever in thine imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of my people. I just want you to notice this little phrase at the end of verse 18. And prepare their heart unto thee. So Pastor, I understand. Why are you preaching this? Sermon? I mean, the vision offering isn't until March 3rd. We're several weeks away. Why preach a sermon like this now? Why preach a sermon like last week's sermon now? Why, why begin to preach these things now? Here's why. Because we're not taking a special offering today. And we're not taking a special offering next Sunday. But what we do want is that the people of God would begin to prepare their hearts unto thee. Prepare your hearts to give. Look, I want to encourage you. And we, we've given you this. We've sent you letters. And we'll continue to. We've made videos. And we're going to continue to do those things. Trying to keep it in front of you, keep it before you. Why? Because you and I need to be spending the next several weeks praying and asking God, Lord, what would you have me to do? On Sunday, March 3rd, we'll be taking a special offering. We'll be taking our vision offering. The vision offering is used, if you're familiar with the vision offering, you know that we use it to pay for different conferences and things. Next Generation Youth Rally, we want to invest in the next generation, we want to invest in these young people. And we're going to be doing that by God's grace. The Red Hot Preaching Conference, something that we do every year here at Verity Baptist Church, is done because of the vision offering and the 
money that comes in. Of course, we have our missionaries that we support, uh, missionary Dave Kabuntala in Cebu. We've supported him, I, I, don't, I think since the house, we've supported him for years and years. Pastor Matthew Stuckey, we support him full-time. He's a full-time missionary supported uh, by our church. He started four churches already since he's uh, been over there, and he's doing a great work, and the vision offering is used to help and support uh, that work. And then, of course, we've got the work over at the building. We, we, we've got remodeling that still needs to be done. We have an HVAC system that needs to be put in. You say, well, well how? Why, why do it? Because it's for God. It should be good. It should be great. I want you to be ready to know how to give collectively, willingly, generously. But I want you to also be ready to know why to give because of the awe of the work of God, because of the affection for the house of God, because of the acknowledging of the providence of God. And what I really want, if you say, well, pastor, what are you trying to do in this sermon? What are you trying to accomplish? Here's all I'm trying to accomplish is that you would begin to prepare your heart. David said, and prepare their heart unto. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's prepare our hearts. Let's acknowledge the providence of God. Let's give to our power and above our power, above and beyond what might be expected. And let's say, I want to be involved because of the greatness of the work of God, because of my love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and because everything I have belongs to Him and was given to me by Him. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. Lord, we pray that you would help us. This season in our church's ministry may be one of and may even be the busiest, most stressful times. So many things going on. We've got to raise money. We've got to work on things. There's so much need everywhere. But Lord, help us to do it. Help us to raise our hands and say, I'll, I'll give, I'll volunteer, I'll be a part, because we love you. Lord, I pray you'd motivate us to not only give in the right way, but to give for the right reason. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, don't forget uh, just a couple of things. If you are a teenager, we need you to sign.